0: Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope, and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. So grab a Bible and open up to Luke chapter 2. Open up to Luke chapter 2, and I wanted to, um, to share one more thing about Oak Bridge, because it's, uh, it's a big deal to us here at Branches, big enough deal that we aren't meeting that Sunday so that we can all be together, and it's such a big deal, not because the camp really needs us, we could go anytime to go there, but it's such a big deal... Well, let me put it this way. I was at a party last night with some friends and I saw a guy I haven't seen for a long time and we were talking about it and he's part of another church and he goes, you know, we kind of come but we don't really know anybody and we really should probably do something about that. So this isn't a trip so that you can go get to know people because some of us already know each other. But it's really to be what the church is supposed to be, which is a community of faith. And it's like the most impacting thing that we do that makes that happen. So maybe you've come before, maybe you've never come, maybe you're the type of person like, I really need to get more involved, or I need to get connected, or you you try to come up with all these ideas to do it. But this is the best thing that we do. It's the best thing that we do for being connected. Yes, we get to help the camp. Yes, the kids beg to go up there because they love the experience. Um, We have these late night things. We have these long nap times. I mean, when do you get to have a nap time? You know what I mean? None of you are in kindergarten, but we get to do that. You just get to disappear. There's tons of free time. It's not like this... It's just a beautiful time together, and it gives you time to breathe. And I think you know what I mean. I'm sure some of you might be a little busy right now with a few things going on. And it just oh, it's like gives you space, and we need that. So I just want to push that as hard as I can. It is the last weekend of this month between Christmas and New Year's. We leave on Friday morning early, so if you work Friday, if you have one of those jobs where your boss is not cool and they don't let you off that Friday, Or if you're the boss and you're not cool and you don't take that day off, we leave early that Friday morning and then we come back, uh, we leave from the camp on Sunday morning. So, because I know we put up the slides, Shane does a great job of announcing it and yet you guys still don't hear it. So I figure if we do it twice, it works. So let me pray for us, uh, because we are going to need it this morning. Father, uh, I'm excited and scared at the same time. So I pray that you would be the one that speaks, and not me. We all ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, you're in Luke chapter 2. We are talking about a Jewish Christmas. And what we mean by that is that Jesus is the fulfillment of a Jewish promise. Uh, You may not know this, Uh, many Jews do not know this, but Christmas is a Jewish holiday. Why I say that is because it's the fulfillment of a Jewish promise to the Jewish people. And yet we miss that. And when we look at it, there's so much beauty and depth and richness there. And stuff that makes, it just makes the season come alive. But even more importantly, it puts us in the middle of something much bigger than us. The problem is, is it can get a little scary. And I'm going to do a little bit of that scariness this morning. When people mess around with things that are familiar to you. Like, you just don't want people to mess around with your beliefs or your foundations or the way you think things are supposed to work. And when you find out they're different, it really throws you off your game. And so we're going to talk about the nativity. We're trying to find things in the season that, that are like uh, handles that we can hold on to. And so every time you sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or hear any kind of Christmas carol, we want you to slow down and listen to it and make that a prayer. And listen to what it means. We talked about what Emmanuel means uh, last Sunday. And we talked about some other hymns. Today, we're going to talk about the nativity scene. You see them everywhere. If you come into my house, you're going to see them in every single room. I don't know how it happened. You know how you collect different things? Uh, Like we have a friend that collects owls. I don't get it, but she's into owls. You know, And some of you guys, we somehow got into collecting nativity scenes. And so they're everywhere. And just now as the words came out of my mouth, I just realized that some people, oh, let's give them another nativity scene for their collection. No, you don't need to do that. We got plenty. But they're in every room, and you see them everywhere. Sometimes those blow-up things on people's yards or wherever. But I'm going to mess with the nativity scene. We're going to mess it up pretty good. And what I mean by that is that we have this picture in our head of what happened that night. And it's going to be completely different, and it might kind of make you a little uncomfortable. Um. For example, I felt a similar uncomfortability when I very first took a, a Bible class, my very first like seminary Bible class. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be so smart. I mean, I'm already smart, but I'm going to come in here and get even smarter. And so I walk into this class and it's on the book of Isaiah. And this guy named Youngblood, Dr. Youngblood is teaching it. And so he hands out these books like well, they didn't hand them out, trust me. They cost a lot. But one of them was this thick. It was his. It's a commentary. And I found out later he really expected us to read every page of it. I found that out two weeks before the final. The final, And he goes, okay, so you're going to write that down. And I was like, wait, you're serious? Like, you wanted me to read that? Like, it's boring. It gives all the facts. And he's like, yeah, I said it in the beginning. So my first class, every night I'm falling asleep reading this book. But in the midst of the beginning of that class, there was so much stuff that I didn't know was there. And when I found it out, it kind of dispelled a lot of my thinking and beliefs. I thought I knew what I knew and that what I knew was correct. For example, there's only one guy that wrote the book of Isaiah, right? No. And when I heard that, I was like, wait, wait, does that mean the book of Matthew wasn't written by just Matthew? I mean, it's got his name on it. It says Isaiah. It says it right there. And as they explained all these things, it, it kind of shook me up a little bit. Because what I thought I knew wasn't accurate. But I want to I help you through this and prepare you. It's better than you thought. When you learn the stuff that's behind it, when we learn this, this tradition, when we learn this history, when we learn what's really happening, it's actually better than what you thought you believed. And it really doesn't matter what we believe. What matters is the truth. That's what matters. And we have to be open to letting the truth in. And be open to the fact that we might be wrong at times. So what we're going to look at is this nativity. We're going to look at these passages that you see all the time, but I want you to look at them with new eyes. I want you to think of it this way. Since uh, Shane already opened up with Surf Talk 101, I know some of you are like, what? What the heck? The pipe master's who? Kelly, what? Um, But think of the ocean, the beach that you always go to. I'm thinking most of you have been to a beach before. So you've been to this beach. Think of your favorite beach if you have one. And you know what it looks like, right? You see the water. It looks different on a different day, depending on the wind, the swell. You know um, where the sun sets and rises compared to where the beach is, uh, the sand. Um, Every once in a while you see a dolphin or a seal or um, you'll step on a stingray, you know, those type of beautiful things. But you'll see this stuff happening. But then, then you can put on goggles and a snorkel, if you need to, and fins, and you go underneath. And there's this whole other world that you didn't know existed, but it's tied together. And it's even more beautiful than you imagine when you see it all in the bigger picture. And so when we look here at this nativity scene, we're going to go underneath, and you're going to see things you didn't see before, and it's going to be even more beautiful than you imagine. So let's get to it. Um, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So, What happened was, is there was a census. We don't really have those in this sense, where you have to go somewhere, but there was a census. The boss of the time, the Roman leader, uh, Caesar, said, Hey, you've got to go to where your home of lineage is, and we need to know who you are, what you do, so we can keep track of what's going on in our kingdom. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. And right now, your mind is already going to what happened, right? Joseph totally dropped the meat in the dirt and didn't make plans and he's going here and it's right in the middle of the pregnancy and so he should have been putting mary first why in the world was he taking her in this pregnant situation she's going ah oh, oh oh the whole way right like you have that picture in your mind and as they're arriving into bethlehem they're getting there and right before they get there i'm going into labor oh no and so he's knocking on the door at this inn right this big hotel i don't know if you imagine a holiday in express or whatever but you see it all laid out, and he's knocking. And I don't know what the guy looks like, but he's not a good guy, right? So whatever you think a not good guy looks like, that's the innkeeper. And then he comes to the door, and he's like, yeah, what? Hey, we need a place to stay. My wife's pregnant. What are you talking about? It's all full. I don't have anything for you. Oh, come on. Please help. Hook me up, man. Look, it's my wife. She's already upset. What can you do to help me out? Okay, I, I got the barn. You can go stay in the barn with the animals. Okay, thanks. And they went out there all by themselves. And it's just Joseph and Mary. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not a nurse. Oh, baby. Oh, and then where are we going to find some cloths? The, the cows are around. Oh, we don't have anything. Let's just put them in the hay. Like that's the picture you have, right? And then, of course, the shepherds show up. What's up? And then the, the magi, the wise men are there at the same time. You have that whole picture, don't you? Okay, I'm going to start you off slowly here. The Magi weren't there when this all went down. They came later. So when you have your nativity scenes, and trust me, they're in ours too. I always like take the little Magi and I'm like, they're over here. They're not there yet. But they're right there in the middle of it, right? Because they were there. They weren't there yet. And they weren't alone either. I want us to go to the next slide. And we're going to take our time here. And I want to give you the better picture. We're going to go underwater here. Because we need to look at this from Middle Eastern eyes. A lot of our false, at least this is how, um, there's a guy that was so helpful for me named Kenneth Bailey. It's a book called Jesus in the Eye, in um, in the View of Middle Eastern Eyes. And he's a guy that uh, grew up and served and he's a scholar in the Middle East for the past 60 years. So he's old. And he, um, he's like, this, this, false belief. A lot of the pictures that we have in our head are from this anonymous book written in 200 AD by a non-Jew who didn't even, who'd never been to Israel, who didn't understand Jewish culture. And so he wrote this book from his perspective of what it would look like. So he translated it to the modern day, right? Like an innkeeper. Did you picture a guy at the clerk with a desk? You did, didn't you? Because we automatically do that, right? You imagine a room with a doorknob Right and, and a hallway with rooms. Now obviously you pictured a barn, but the way you pictured a barn was probably like up and above and not into a cave. Because you're not Middle Eastern, most likely. And so this guy wrote this story and a lot of those traditions have carried on. And although popes and other people at that time said, hey, this book's not accurate, it's still kind of filtered into our culture. Let's look at this through Middle Eastern eyes. So Joseph uh, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So he has to go to his hometown or where his family kind of grew up, meaning you're tied to your land, and he is royalty. Like we think of Joseph, oh, carpenter guy. No, he's from the royal line of King David, which is kind of a big deal. It's, it's much bigger than if I were to tell you that the Rose family is we descend from George Washington. You'd be like, whoa, pretty impressive. Not true, but it would be pretty impressive <laughs> if I said that we were from the lineage of George Washington. And if when I went to Washington and I, you know, where he came from, which is not the state of Washington, but if I went to where he's from, which I actually don't know where he's from, but if I went to where he's from and they would probably call themselves, hey, we're the home of George Washington. Because if you have someone important from your little town, you got to let everybody know about it, right? Because it's kind of a big deal. And so if George Washington was from, like, Lake Elsinore, if he was from Lake Elsinore, it would be like, Lake Elsinore, the city of George Washington. Even though he might not have even grown up there, that's where his lineage is from. or where, It's a big deal. And so Joseph is not some stranger coming back to Bethlehem. Like, he's kind of a big deal. He's from that family. And he's coming to this town of David or the city of David. And it's not really his city necessarily. But they claim him as theirs because that's where his lineage is from. And so he comes there. And when he arrives in Bethlehem, I want you to see it says while they were there. You know what that means? They didn't arrive that night. Think about that. They were there. He was there. They got there early and on time. He's not like most of you men. He planned ahead. He got there in plenty of time and had a few days. Another thing we need to know about Middle Eastern culture is they take hospitality to a whole other level. You know how you're driving and you'll see someone on the side of the road and you're like, does that person have a house? And you're like, I don't know. And then you just keep driving. That would never, ever, ever happen in a Middle Eastern culture. Because hospitality is, it's who they are. Uh, one of my kids, I asked him, hey, did you brush your teeth? Yeah. I looked at him and I said, did you? No. And I said, hey, you know, you know how we are as the roses. We do not lie. That's how we do. Like, if you don't want to brush your teeth, say you didn't brush your teeth. And even fight me about it. But don't lie. Because we don't lie. We don't do that. In a Middle Eastern culture, that's what they would all say about hospitality. "What? What? No, you know how we do. We take them in. That's what they do. And so he's there early. He's royalty. Like, he's kind of a big deal. Oh, there's Joseph. He's part of the lineage of David, you know? They're going to provide him a place to stay. It's not like he's wandering around trying to find something. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. You need to know this, too. We know from another passage um, that Mary's family was from the hills of Judea. You're not Middle Eastern, you don't know the the topography or how it looks. Bethlehem's uh, right here, it's on a ridge, so that's why they say they went from uh, Nazareth up to Bethlehem, because it's higher, although Nazareth is higher, Bethlehem's even higher on a ridge. And so they go up to Bethlehem, but even in the hills surrounding Bethlehem, there's hills. And Mary's family is from there. So let's say that Joseph gets there early. And he can't find a place to stay. Let's say that actually happened. Don't you think Mary would have said, look, we know it's only an hour walk and we can get to my auntie's. She's right over there. Can you imagine the fighting that would have happened? No, we're just going to, we'll find a place here. What, you don't like my family? Whoa, not good enough for my family? No, her family's all there. So they could have gone there. But he got there in plenty of time that they didn't need to because um, when the time came, um, can we go back? Thanks. While they were there, no time came for the baby. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So, if you have one of the Bibles that we handed out, it's uh, the NIV or Today's New NIV, um, and some of you may have Bibles in your hands or on your phones, and you're looking at either the King James, the New King James. Or the uh, New American Standard, or something like that, that, says there was no room in the inn. Okay, a couple things we need to look at here. The word "room" is in Greek, is "topos," which means space. So imagine you have a desk, and you would say, "Look, there's just there's no room on my desk," which means there's no space, right? It, you're not thinking of a room with a door and a bed and a bathroom, right? In English, we have Room, which is a place you can sleep in. And then we have there's no room, meaning no space. Okay, so some of those translations will say there was no room in the guest room. Right? Or no room in the inn, which is another way to so say there was no space. And then we're going to look at this word, uh, guest room. Because this is the more accurate, accurate translation. So if you have the NIV for this particular word, this is what that word means. It is a cataluma. A And it only appears in the book of Luke. It only appears in the New Testament three times and twice in Luke. And what it is, now it's Pictionary time. Because this is going to be a typical Middle Eastern house. Okay? Typical Middle Eastern house. Can you guys all see this? Okay, that's about the only thing that's going to make sense now because I'm about to start drawing. So this is their house. And this is from the top looking down. I was going to give you two different views, but I'm not going to get that fancy on you. So they have this one big room. However, this is the living room. If if you had enough space to have another room, it would be called the Cataluma. There's different ways to spell this because it's a transliteration. So here's the guest room, and here's the living room. This is where everybody stayed. Now, I know that's completely different to us, but in a lot of cultures, this is normal. So, for example, when we were in Mongolia, they had a, a, a one-room place. And it was the husband and the wife, the kids, us, the, the three of us that were staying there, and the animals. We're all in there together. The reason the animals were there, we're in Mongolia. It's freezing if the animals are in there, it's a lot warmer. If everybody's in there, it's warm. In the Middle East, it gets cold at night. I don't know if you've ever been there. It gets cold. It's not just deserty hot. It gets cold, too. And so you would bring the animals in. So you've got the whole family right here. If you were wealthy enough to have a cataluma, sometimes it was connected, or a lot of times it was up on the roof. Okay? So you've got this. Then we've got the manger. Right? The manger's in here summer. What's a manger? It's just where the animals eat. So the way this would work is this would be sloped down. So remember, this is from the top down. If I gave you another view, the way the floor would be, it would be flat and then it would drop down and the down would be over here because this is where you take the animals. Because the animals are still in there, but they'd be down on the bottom part and then sometimes you'd put like pieces of timber or logs here to kind of separate it. And then over here, is the door that leads out. And if you look in the Old Testament, you'll hear all these references to they took the animals out. You remember when Jesus was talking about healing the one woman, and the Pharisee's like, I can't believe you did that on Sunday, or on their Sabbath, it wasn't Sunday. I can't believe you did this on the Sabbath. And he said, every day you untie your animals, right? Because they're not going to leave the animals in the house. Nobody would do that. They keep them in here for warmth, and so they don't get stolen, but they take them out, And so every day he would say, you Pharisees, take your your animals out. I untied this woman. You untie an animal every single day. Is this woman not more valuable than your animals? You'll start to see these references now that you know how their houses were. So right here would be these mangers. And these would usually be dug out. Okay, So they'd be dug out and the food would go in there. And then, of course, I don't know where the beds are at. We'll say, hey, I sleep here. And I sleep here. And here's our little kitchen. Yay! So this is the house. And then it all slopes downward. So if it rains and it gets really bad, because sometimes the roofs, well, most times the roofs, water gets through. So it will all flow down this way and out that door if they need to sweep it out. Okay? This is the inn. It's not called an inn. I don't even know why it's translated in. It's translated guest room. So now, we look at this. So Joseph... Um, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave, ba- gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no room or space in the guest room. So what happened is Joseph comes to Bethlehem. A family takes him in. Stay with us. But you know what? There's no room in the Kataluma. It's al- Someone's already staying there. So you know what? You guys stay in here with us. And then it came time for her to give birth. And you know what she did? The women went, oh, this is not happening, boys. You get out. So all the boys probably had to go up here and stay up here in the Cataluma. And then she gave birth in here. And then they put in the most safe, comfortable place, put some hay down in one of the mangers, and then wrapped them in swaddling, swaddling clothes, which is a Middle Eastern tradition, and put the baby into this manger. Isn't that awesome? The reason that's so awesome to me is because I I got to blame somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I look at this situation. I've always looked at this thing and said, what a mess that night was. Really? But it was really dramatic. We like good stories. Isn't that, like, what was Joseph thinking? I know maybe you never thought to blame Joseph. It crossed my mind. Because I'm always like, I've got to be a better dad, a better husband. And so... I'm always looking for someone to take down. Joseph, he should have done it differently. And of course, the innkeeper is, there was no room in the inn. Please open up your heart. Have have room in your inn for Jesus. (laughs) Unlike that, because we've got to guilt each other, right? We have to do that. You know what? This is so much more beautiful. This is so much more beautiful. Imagine him getting there and this family going, oh, you know what? Hey, why don't you come in here? Hey, boys, you go over there. Get out of here. Get out of here. Hey, let me take care of you. And they weren't alone. Mary and Joseph were not alone. They were with a family being taken care of. There's another place that um, that this word appears. I want to show it to you. It's in the next slide. Um, the other place we hear, oh, oh, the word in. The word in or hotel is in the scriptures, by the way. Um, when Jesus in the book of Luke, I'm trying to choose everything from the book of Luke. Because it's from that writer, so you know he could have chosen which word he was going to use. When the Samaritan was taken to an inn, that was a hotel. That was a public place to stay. Um, so that word is "pandakion," and that's where we get that word "inn" from. Bethlehem is; it doesn't have any stoplights, but if it did, there'd be one. They're not going to have any hotels. No one's like, "Hey, let's go visit Bethlehem and go on vacation." Or, hey, we got to get through Bethlehem to get to that place. No, no one went to Bethlehem. It wasn't like a main thoroughfare. So let's go to the next slide. And the other place that we see this word cataluma or this guest room is when Jesus was asking for them to prepare for the Passover. And we see down here where um, Jesus uh, says, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house... That he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the cataluma or the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room. And in this particular house, it was upstairs and all furnished. Make preparations there. So that's the two times in the book of Luke that that word appears. So Let's go to the next slide. Because I want us to take a look now at the shepherds. The shepherds were there. It's Okay. You can put that in your nativity scene. The shepherds um, were told, the angel appeared and said, I bring you good news of good tidings. A Savior was born for you, for all people today. And they were afraid because an angel showed up. And so they said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this, what they're talking about. And think about it. If you're a shepherd, you don't know this about shepherds, but shepherds are very low on the totem pole. And what I mean by that is they were, you know, We all know that everyone that works, all jobs are equal. We know that, but we don't act that way. Ooh, you're a doctor, huh? Surgeon. What? Brain surgeon. You know, we can keep going up. And then you have, oh, you have a minimum wage job? Like, we we have that scale. We know that all that matters is you work hard for the Lord and you give your best. But then we have different scales, don't we? In Middle Eastern cultures, they had scales as well. Shepherds were minimum wage. And not only that, but they were considered unclean. So from a religious perspective, if you were holy, you can't just go hang out with shepherds because they hang out with the dirty animals. You got They got to get all clean before you can interact with them. And so here it is. An angel shows up and says, I bring you good news. A savior has been born for all people, including you. And he's in a manger. Wait, us? Wait, the, the Messiah, the son of God from the royal family has been born? From Abraham all the way through King David, he's here? Well, why are you telling us? You know who we are on the scale. We're too low. We can't do this. I mean, do you see the beauty in this, what God is doing? God is is saying, look, this is for all people. I don't care what goofy hierarchy you have down there. That's not the way it really is. Come. And so these shepherds come, and they know to go to a normal house because they said he's in a manger. If it was a palace or an extremely wealthy palace, family he wouldn't be in a manger and so imagine the shepherds having their whole perspective of how this should be freaked out so they come and they they come into the house and they see everything now if this situation was as bad as we assumed where they're out and they're in the barn and they're in the barn and they're with the animals and they're all alone and nobody has shown them any hospitality they're middle eastern they would have looked around and said what Oh, this can't be. But instead, here in Luke 2.20, it says this. The shepherds returned after. And they were glorifying and praising God for all. For all of the things they had heard and seen. Which were just as they had been told. If things weren't right, they would come back and say, hey, we saw the Messiah. But you won't believe how the people in Bethlehem did it. So we had to fix things. We brought them with us. Our wives did it the right way. They did it the way it's supposed to be done here in this part of town. But they didn't because they knew that they were taken care of. They knew that someone had brought them in and that they were not alone. And I look at that picture, and that's better than the one that I had in my head. That's better than the way that I saw things before. So let's summarize what's happening here. And I, want to, I wrote it down because I like the way it was written down. And so I'm going to summarize it right now. This is what happened that night. To the best that we can understand from scripture and from Middle Eastern culture. Um, The birth of Jesus had the holy family traveling to Bethlehem where they were received into a private home. The child was born, wrapped, and put to bed in the living room manger that was either built into the floor or made of wood and moved into the family living space. Why weren't they in the family guest room or the Cataluma? The answer is the guest room was already occupied by other guests. The host family graciously accepted Mary and Joseph into the family room of their house. The family room would naturally be cleared of the men for the birth of the child, and the village midwife and other women would have assisted at the birth. After the child was born and wrapped, Mary put her newborn to bed in a manger filled with fresh straw and covered him with a blanket. Joseph did not need to look for a commercial inn. He wasn't dropping the meat in the dirt, and he wasn't being an irresponsible husband to care for Mary's needs. Joseph um, did not have to anger his in-laws by failing to turn to them in a crisis. The child was born in the normal surroundings of a peasant home sometime after they arrived in Bethlehem, and there was never a heartless innkeeper to deal with. Joseph was not humiliated by being rejected in his village of origin. The people of Bethlehem offered the best that they had and they preserved their honor as a community. So I want to finish here. Because whenever you hear a sermon or a message, the question we always ask is, well, what does this have to do with me? Right? you're hearing this like, okay, that's interesting, but so, what does that have to do with me? Here's your answer. It doesn't have to do with you. It's not about you. This is about us seeing Jesus, seeing how God laid things out and to see these people that surrounded them. Maybe it's not always about us. Maybe we don't always have to take something away. Maybe it's that we see things the way they really were. We talk about Jesus and we talk about Paul and others coming and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we've shared this. The word repent means to change your mind, to change the way you see things. And I'm pretty sure none of you saw this this way. This is just the nativity scene. This is just the night of his arrival. But this is not about us. This is about us looking at Jesus and, and looking at the heavenly father and saying, wow, this is how you did this. I like this picture a lot better. I'm glad that this is replacing what I had in my head, that I got to swim underneath and I have people like Kenneth Bailey and other brilliant people that have helped us to look through the eyes of the Middle Eastern culture where Jesus is from To look from a Jewish perspective, which Jesus is the fulfillment of their promises, and see things the way it really happened. And the other thing that I really like about this, the thing that's very helpful to me, is that it tells me that I need to be moldable. Because I don't like people messing with the way I see things. I wasn't very happy with Dr. Youngblood changing the way I saw things. In fact, I went into his office and I said, you know what, Dr. Youngblood, this has been very difficult for me in your class. I go, I actually thought I knew the Bible before I came in here. But every time I learn something new, I realize I don't know anything. I feel like I'm getting dumber and dumber in your class the more that I learn. And I wasn't, he knew I wasn't saying anything mean. I was just saying, look, I'm feeling more inadequate the smarter I get. And this is Dr. Youngblood. I'm not going to give you all his credentials, but he's kind of a big deal. And... With all of his white hair, he looks up and takes his glasses off. Son, because that's what you say when you're old to young people. He says, how do you think I feel? And I was like, okay, this feels better. So you're way smarter and you feel way dumber. It's that heart. It's when you mature, you realize, you know what? I don't know everything. And I'm moldable, Lord. Give me eyes to see. We're just dealing with a nativity scene here. What about the bigger things of life? Are we moldable? Are we willing to take the way we think things are supposed to work? And are we willing to lay it up before the Lord and say, you know what? Do what you got to do, Lord. I'm moldable in your hands. Do what you got to do. I think this is the way life is supposed to work. I think this is what is important. But I'm willing to put it all at your feet. And I'm willing to be moldable in your hands. And the last thing I want to say is, is that we do have this thing about guilt and blame. We either have to guilt and blame somebody else, or we got to guilt and blame ourselves, and it's our fault. Someone has to be at fault. The beauty of this picture, as I look at it, is that it's, well, one, it's beautiful. Joseph did the best that he could, and it was good enough. This family, whoever that, wouldn't it be cool when you get to meet this family in heaven? Guess what happened to us? We're the ones. They did the best that they could. And it was good enough. I didn't think about sharing this story. Never crossed my mind and we're running out of time. But this is an example of blame. When I was a kid at Christmas, we moved in with another family. Uh, We did this often at Christmas. This was different from last week. When I was talking about the Christmas carols, this was a different family we moved in with at Christmas. Because there was no room in the inn. But this family took us in, and they let us stay with them. And um, the the parents had divorced, so it was a single mom and her son, Travis. And um, he had a dad, and the parents did not get along at all. And the dad, I don't know if he was wealthy or anything from a kid's eye. He was, because I remember him pulling up in his truck. And literally the back of the truck was filled with presents for Jess Travis. And they came under the tree, and it was like this full thing. And I remember going, what? And then the night came for our Christmas, and I think I was eight or nine or seven, I don't know, somewhere around there. And I remember looking at my two presents, and I remember looking over at his, and I looked at my mom, and she reminded me of this a couple years later. I said, Mom, is, is this it? My mom was broke. I don't mean like broke as in poor. I mean I broke her right there. Because she did the best that she could. And her son said, it's just not good enough. I mean, look at what Travis got. I know some of you are feeling that right now. Maybe about presence. Maybe it's something simple like that. Or maybe it's something else. But this is a picture. This is a reminder to us. God does not ask as much from us as we think he's asking from us. Give your best. That's good enough. Give your best. I actually don't know where to go from that because I didn't plan on sharing that story. But I'll finish there. I want to invite the worship team up. And then I want to pray for us. Um, Pray for us that during this season, what God wants accomplished will be accomplished. And I pray that this season will look different to you than it did before. So, um, please join me in prayer. Father, um, I'm just so thankful for guys like Kenneth Bailey and those that um, that give us all of this, this rich understanding. And they take us underwater so that we can swim around and look to get a clear picture of how it all fits together. And Lord, this is a beautiful season. But it is stressful, Lord. And often we feel not good enough in relationships, in finances, in time. But Lord, we want to pause and we want to look at you. We want to look at how you laid everything out. And we thank you for this family. We thank you for Joseph and Mary. Above all, Lord, we thank you for the Savior that you provided. And we definitely don't get it all, Lord. But we want to grow closer and closer to you. And we want to see more clearly.